Hello and welcome back to the Couch Chia Podcast. My name is Ryan Parker and I'm joined, as always, by Matt Sageburning Chamberlain. How you doing, Matt? Pretty solid. You know, I I know we talked about recording after the uh, the Suns-Clippers game the other day, but I just didn't have it in me after watching that. So That was such a, like, I don't know. It was a brick fest. That's what it was. Uh, I joke getting an early head start on building the Clippers new Inglewood stadium. Um, so we are, we're recording after watching game three of Bucks Hawks Bucks just went up to one. Uh, we'll get to that, but that was, a, that was a good fun game too. Yeah. These, uh, for the most part, uh, the Eastern conference finals has been pretty fun. Except yeah, game, for game two, two was rough, but yeah. Game two was rough, but other than that, it's been fun. These playoffs have just been fun, Matt. It's just good to have normal basketball back with fans in the arena. Like, it just adds a whole layer to it. Fans chanting at Giannis, you know, fans training at, chanting at Trey Young. Like, yeah, it's good stuff. That hasn't been a thing since uh, Eastern Conference Finals, though, because I guess Milwaukee fans are too nice. Yeah. No, and they're not like Knicks fans, like like <laughs> young F Trey Young and like Trey's balding. <laughs> balding. Yeah. And th- I, I think the chance just had to end because he was just like feeding into it too much. Like he he like yeah. performed better when those chants showed up. Yeah, he did. It was incredible. It was incredible. Uh this is episode 113. And uh before we get too much further into it, let me remind you to follow us on Twitter. Uh, and follow us on Instagram. If you search for Couch GM Podcast, you can follow us there. Um, and if you haven't yet, f- find us on the podcast platform your, of your choice and give us a rating or review, uh, and that great, would greatly help us out. Uh, if you missed the episode 112, we did one of my favorite segments, 123 Cancun. We talked about uh, the teams who exited the, co- uh, the playoffs in the conference uh, semifinals. And then we did a quick conference finals preview. Matt, are you ready for this week's news in the NBA? Because I think it calmed down after the previous week. We, we have enough time today to talk a bit about it. <laughs> uh, so two pieces of news that will kind of bundle up into one. Uh, Jason Kidd was hired as Dallas Mavericks head coach. And then, Breaking today, as right before this recording, Chauncey Billups uh, was hired as the Portland Trailblazers head coach. Matt, do you like it, either one of these hirings? What What are your thoughts? So the whole Jason Kidd thing, as much as I loved Jason Kidd, the player, I'm, I'm still kind of out on Jason Kidd, the coach. I mean, but, it's been rough and it stops. Like Brooklyn wasn't good. Milwaukee wasn't good. Yeah. Like it's like he didn't know how to manage games, which is like if anything, that's the part you thought he would be better at. Yeah, you know, um, we'll see if this is better. You know, he spent the last couple of years in LA as an assistant um, with the Lakers. I, I don't know what the big takeaway is. Is it like? He just learned like standard fundamental defense, like teaching from Frank Vogel, because like that was a big kid criticism. Was like he was running these weird defenses that like trapped at like terrible times and like didn't know what they were doing. So it's like, did you 
if he had significant takeaways from Vogel and then learn from LeBron, like how to work with a superstar like Luca, maybe this is a good hire. I'm like 40% good hire, 50% bad hire, and like 10% of like, I, I don't know if it matters because Luca might just be so good that like he's like, give me someone who will let me do whatever I want and we'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like that hard balance, right? Like you can't really bring in an inexperienced coach to coach this team because they're wanting to contend for championship. Um, but you also like, so that forced you to get uh, somewhat of a known name. And I mean, Rick Carlisle was a top coach out there, but he just left Dallas. And so I don't know. I, I don't love this particularly love this hire either. Um I don't know. I feel like D'Antoni would have been a good fit here. I don't, I don't think, I don't know how much vitriol would have been between uh, Houston and Dallas or some of his previous stops. Um, so maybe that wasn't ever going to work, but I don't know. I, I feel like D'Antoni would have been a better option here, especially with the way his offense predicates, you know, guard heavy systems. And that's what Luca is. Yeah. And I'm not going to like, I don't have a list in front of me. There was a point where like when Celtics were looking for a coach, I was like just running through the list of everyone, you know, assistants and stuff in the NBA that like you'd be interested for. And it's like, I don't have a great other option for Dallas off the top of my head here. I There were the reports of like some people really wanted Jamal Mosley, the assistant um, there to like get more consideration for the job or get the job. And he really didn't it seemed pretty much like they locked on kid pretty early and it was like, that's a guy. So I, I don't know. I don't want to criticize their like interview process, but like, like they jumped on that pretty quick. Maybe it also, work. it feels like Jason kid a year from now is not going to be the coach of the Dallas Mavericks. We're going to just have like another Stan band situation of like, Oh no, this is bad. Yeah. Especially bad. if the Mavericks get off to like a slow start. Like they They're did this past year. Like you, you goofed this up again. Yeah, especially with Luca already being kind of, I don't know, discontent with the front office maybe already. Yeah. Uh, and he's what not even four years into like his first stint in Dallas. Yeah. Um, and that max contract looms this summer. I I think he's right. gonna sign he's sign. Eligible. He's gonna sign the extension or extension contract extension. Uh. But I don't know. It just kind of puts everything a little, a little on the rocks there in Dallas. Sure. And then with <laughs> Chauncey Billups, I mean, don't get me wrong, I very much enjoyed Chauncey Billups, the player, as a Detroit Piston. He brings a lot like to teams when you've like heard former players talk about what he was like. He's his name has been thrown around, I feel like, for the last five years for like different front office openings and coaching openings finally gets the opportunity in Portland. And then you hear these rumblings that like Dame is at a hundred percent in on like how the Blazers did this whole ordeal and like the process and like what they've come up with. I don't know. I don't know if this Chauncey Billups hire ends up being a good one. Cause I don't know if Dame's there or not, to be honest. And CJ's name is being thrown around a hundred times over. I'm sure that pisses Dame off too. Yeah. So I, I can't even judge if this is, if I think this is going to be a good hire or not, because 
I can't tell you with any certainty that like he's going to have the, it's, it might just be like the Steven Silas thing of like you walk into one job and then by the time the season starts, you have a different job. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of the comparison that comes to mind, especially since it's so recent. Um, if things start to go sideways with Dame, I mean, what do you do there as a coach? Like, do you, you just got to push through it. It, it? It's a really tough situation to walk into as first-time head coach. I mean, for Billups, <laughs> you, you do the Pat Riley, which is you show him your championship rings and be like, look, this is what I can do. Like, get on board. You know, but again, just like we talked about with kid, it's different when you're the coach. Yeah. It's one right. thing when you're the point guard out there doing this, doing that. It's different when you are the head coach and you got to manage rotations and lineups and injuries and personalities and everything. Like it's different. Part of me wants it to work there in Portland because I think Terry Stotts was an average ish coach there and Dame deserved better. But like we've talked about on this pod so many times, it might be too late. Like, yeah, you know, there's not a lot of like revamping this roster at this point. Like, no. Not without significant trades, which if you trade CJ, like we said, it's going to piss Dame off. Yeah. And Nurkic, I mean, again, just the, we've talked about it a thousand times, the value of centers. Who's trading for a, for a center right now? Who's injured all the time. Yeah. And he's not a great defender. Yeah. He's good. He's good. Nice offensive player more so, but again, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. And last piece of news here, Matt. Uh, the lottery happened. The draft order was announced. RIP to your thunder. This was, it was just heartbreaking. It was just heartbreaking seeing the Cavs get another top whatever pick. And they're going to squander it. Yeah. So how this ended up. So Houston <laughs> and Detroit had the top two odds. Um, Houston actually had the better odds. Um, or was the one whatever ended up getting flipped Detroit has the number on pick presumably the new home of Cade Cunningham now um although they say they're going to do their betting um Houston gets number two you're right Cleveland jumped up they had the fifth best odds Cleveland jumped up to number three Toronto who had the seventh best odds jumped up to number four so that team could really uh we could see them back in the playoffs pretty easily next year Orlando drops down to five. OKC drops down to six. Golden State takes the Minnesota pick at seven. Brutal for the Timberwolves. Yeah, that pick dropped from, like, what, the top three to seven? Um, That pick – no, I think that pick was projected at six, but it had, like, a 40% chance of being top four. Ugh. So it's like – it could have been top four. They could have – easily has moved up as Toronto did or Cleveland yeah. and just didn't, you know? Um, and then Orlando gets a second pick from Chicago, the Nick Vucevic deal. Um, that's crazy. Brutal. Yeah. Um, so Orlando gets two picks, five and eight. And then after that, um, I think we were flush on how it was supposed to fall. Um Sacramento 9, New Orleans 10, Charlotte 11, San Antonio 12, Indiana 13, and then Golden State again at 14. So the big conversation points are, of course, like, 
how does this top four shake out? You mentioned what what the heck is Cleveland going to do? Because no one knows what Cleveland's going to do at three. They're going to draft another guard. Like that's the that's the thing. That's what they've done. It's either they they're going to draft a guard and they're going to say we're done with Colin Sexton. Yeah. Or they're going to draft a big and be like we're done with Jared Allen. (laughs) (laughs) My boy Jared Allen. No. And it's just like for them. It's almost like they were like, we we need one or we need five. Because whatever Cleveland does at two, three, or four, and they fell to three, um, or I guess rose up to three, it's going to look bad no matter what. Because, again, we're assuming Cunningham goes one. After that, the next three best players are big man, point guard, pure shooting guard. And it's like... You don't need any of those things. You need a forward. You need a legit forward. So either you're going to overdraft and then everyone's going to criticize you for overdrafting or you're going to draft a guy and you're like, we already have that. So we're trading someone we just picked in the top five or traded for in Jared Allen. You know, Cleveland's Cleveland's going to get the hose no matter what. Um, Toronto, we mentioned, could, could be a very strong playoff team again next year depending on how they use this. Or trade it. Yeah. Right. Um, we, we mentioned brutal for OKC. Oh, I mean, just heartbreaking. Yeah. Just like the the hopes for one and five. And they end up with shattered six and 18. Just rough. Um, but I mean, like six, six, 18. Uh, is there another it's, one? Well, there's six, 16, oh, and 18. Yeah. I only mentioned 18 because that was. The pick swap with Miami. Yeah, yeah. the Miami-Houston pick swap. Um, thing. Yeah, I don't know what you do there. I don't know, as Oklahoma City, like, at, sitting at six, you're out on the outside looking at yeah, the if you best feel players like this is in the four-player, you know, a, a quote-unquote four-player draft, like quite a few people do, do you go talk to Cleveland and be like, hey, look, you're in a bad spot at three because you, you it's you. We'll give you six, 18, and a future pick for three. And I bet Cleveland will say yes. I I think – I feel like Presty has some tricks up his sleeve. I do too. I don't think – I would honestly be shocked if Oklahoma City stays at six. Me too. I have that sense too. I think they um, – it's, it's not over – for for Oklahoma City, we might get a Lazarus situation here. <laughs> Resurrected. If um, if Sam Presti works over Troy Weaver for the first pick, <laughs> but Detroit can't let that happen. Right? <laughs> Not after the last season. But the, the like the thing I keep coming back to, like it, it, it is rough. Like in all seriousness, it is rough. Like the, this past season was not great for Oklahoma City. And being an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, it was rough. Right? They fielded one of the worst historic offenses in all of NBA history. But the shining light is that they have a piece to the core of what they're building towards. And that's Shea Gilgis Alexander. Right. And and it's anyone around Shea. Yeah. It's not like, I don't know, like a Houston where there's no, like there's no one like Christian Wood might be the best player there, but I don't, 
we still don't know if he's a core piece to like a serious winning team. Right. Um, so there's there's hope. There's hope for the My Thunder. Yeah. No. There is. And there's, I mean, even if they did stay at six, there's a couple other guys there. It's interesting. Um, last one we'll talk on real quick. The Gold State one, just because they got seven and 14. I think what they do is going to say a lot about their next three years. So it's either we're going to keep drafting the James Wiseman type prospects and say we're leaning into prospects. And if we can still win now, great, but we're going to be set up for the next eight years. Or are they going to draft players that are ready to play tomorrow and or trade? I mean, it's got to, I feel like they almost have to trade one of those picks for like a ready, like their roster still like a championship roster if they're all healthy. I don't feel like you can draft these projects and expect that, like we saw it with James Wiseman. Like they got better after James Wiseman was ruled out for the rest of the year. It's not like James Wiseman's a bad player. It's just they have a specific set of guys they like playing with. Yeah. And like they like they just don't have time to play James Wiseman 70 games, 30 minutes a night, and say figure it out. So that way in three years you can be like top five center. <clears throat> they just don't have that time right now because Steph right. Curry doesn't have that long, like at, at his level, <clears throat> which is an MVP level. So you gotta think like seven um and whatever. Sign and trade Ubre, go get something, you know. Yeah, don't know what. <clears throat> that's the idea, you know. Or Wiggins and seven. If you can sell a team on Wiggins because he just had the best of his career, Wiggins and seven go get you whatever. Maybe yeah. that is a thing. Wouldn't be shocked if that's what they do. I I have no idea. The Wiseman pick last year leads like lends me to think it's like a 50 50 proposition right now i i don't know Pom Meyer seems like a smart guy i feel like they trade one of the picks before drafting the pick um unless they have a deal with like another team that's like gonna be a draft rights swap type of situation maybe um yeah i i mean they need guys who can play off the bench like that's their weakest spot right now yeah, so like adding depth would like they need it. They definitely do because you can craft a starting lineup with what they've got, assuming health. So you're right, but again, seven and fourteen—that's pretty cheap labor if you can get two guys who contribute right away. For example, people keep throwing out like Davion Mitchell and Corey Kispert, like mm, one from the yeah. other. Gonzaga just playing the national championship game. One's a defensive guard specialist one's a you know classic shooter wing both guys can play off your bench so i saw something about davion mitchell this uh, tangent here did he have to go get like some medical tests or something like that or go grow in front of some board that was uh jared butler his teammate Uh, oh Uh, gotcha gotcha yeah okay but pretty concerning also like it's also like, how is this just now being a thing? Anyway, Baylor. Uh, not going to talk about Baylor ethics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. 
we'll go down a rabbit hole way too far on that. <laughs> Um, so, so let's just get back to NBA basketball. <laughs> Actual basketball. So usually we'd talk about uh, do one, two, three, Cancun here. Teams who have been bounced from playoffs. No teams have been bounced from this round of the playoffs yet. It's an ominous thing. The day this, on, barely. The, uh, let's talk about that series first, Matt, uh, since that's going to be tonight's game when this podcast is released. Suns, Clippers, game four, game five, game five. It, Suns up 3-1 right now. Is this what you expected from the series so far? So last time we potted, I said I, I thought the Clippers would win it, assuming Kawhi was going to come back. Yeah. Kawhi's done. <laughs> it seems that way, doesn't it? I we were talking, you know, off air, and I think the thought that's been going through my mind that I mentioned to you is with him setting up in the you know the press box or mm. you know the box up upstairs. He's not being around his teammates, and you know they've talked about like how he'll go down for like halftime or like something, you know. But I genuinely think he's just he's done. He's out with the like maybe not like he's done with the Clippers, but like <laughs> you know he's like. He knows he's done. He's living his own life and he comes to the games and he'll offer help when it's reasonably, you know, a a good time to go do that. But like he's staying away from them. So there's no COVID issues as much as possible. He's still a part of it. He's still there, but like, he's not, he's out, he's done. Yeah. So that whole Clippers idea is just out the window. The thing is, so the Clippers obviously took the one game. They've been right there in the other two. They've just lost. Like, if Kawhi was playing or just a couple things go their way, they could be up 3-1. Yeah, that eight value really kind of shifted the series, right? The value. The value. Because if the Clippers end up winning that one, the series is 2-1 right now. Um, Maybe even 3-1 going back to Phoenix, right? And Clippers' favor. It could just be absolutely flipped. Um, DeAndre Aiden being maybe one of the best players on the floor at any given moment. Did you see that coming this this playoffs? Like straight up the third best player out there. Um, definitely not. Definitely not. And you know he talked about like in his post game the other day. He was just like CP has just like been the dude who, or maybe it was post game. I don't remember. Whatever interview the other day. It's like CP three has just been like the dude. It's like he hasn't been afraid to like push me like. And like make me better, and it's like that was always a criticism. You never knew if it was true or not. But like that, eight just like no one ever told him like, dude, you're not good at this. Like, dude, yeah. you have to be better at this. And obviously, Chris Paul is one of those guys that will tell you off for anything <laughs> um, and just about everything. So I think having Chris Paul, um, you know, just attitude around him has really helped him. But it's like he's dominating the boards he's kind of just in the right place defensively. Like you haven't been able to quote unquote play him off the court. Yeah. Like he did go bare. And then offensively, like they're not asking him to do a ton. Yeah. Just do like the smart, easy thing when we give you the ball and he's yeah. doing it. It's like, yeah. he's just maximizing like a very, not very simple, but like relative by NBA standards, relatively simple role in a complex offense. And there's just at this point, it doesn't feel like Phoenix has an, an answer 
or not Phoenix, but LA has an answer for him. Yeah, it, it's kind of crazy to watch him. Like he got so many big offensive rebounds, and he was just like taking the ball away from dudes. Like he's just so strong inside when he goes up for a, a, a board and comes down with it. Um, it's just kind of shocking to me that that I mean I didn't certainly think that he would be the third best player in a playoff series. Um, when he was drafted, I mean, we talked about that all the time. We ranted and raved about that draft. And it turns out like three of the four players that were drafted in that top, top, what, four are actually really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Aiton is, I mean, I think I saw a tweet. I forgot who tweeted this or maybe it was on a podcast. And the gist was like, Aiton's probably not going to be the best player in that draft class but he's certainly earned the number one pick um that he was drafted with if you if you think like is this dude just a number one draft pick like general history of the league is your number one draft pick i guess right by averages like you have to exclude luca like the the context of luca to make the point but like i i kind of get it otherwise there's also the argument for taking a big first in 20, 2018. Yeah. So, yeah. But kind of beside the point. I get it though, right? Like yeah. He's, he, it's gotten to the point of like, you can't super criticize the pick anymore. Like, again, everyone would say you take Luka Doncic still. Yeah. But he, he has earned at least a certain level of like, yeah, but that he's, he's kind of a dude out there. He's at least like a top three pick and it didn't ever feel like that before, I guess. Right. Um, And he's been really good and he's kind of picked up the slack some, especially in scoring like early on when other guys haven't had it going. Um, Devin Booker really like, I'm still like, we're still kind of waiting for that. Another spectacular Devin Booker game outside of game one. He hasn't been like awesome, super efficient. And that's what I would be worrying about if I were the Clippers. Like, has Pat Bev just, like, it's got to be, like, a diminishing returns type of situation at some point, right? Like, Devin Booker is just going to go off. Like, yeah, you can't reasonably assume, like, this is going to keep going in your favor, that Pat Bev, Devin Booker matchup, right? Yeah. And real quick on the game thing, like, not that – inside the NBA on TNT has like the greatest insight, to be honest. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's, you know, just rambling. Sometimes it's just Shaq saying these guys have to be better. It's like, Shaq, you're like a top 12 player of all time. Like your standards different. (laughs) Yeah. But one point that they make a lot, and I feel like it's kind of like boy cry wolf at this point, but it's actually um, applicable in this situation is like, some of these teams that just shoot a thousand jump shots when it's not going in, they have no one to just throw the ball to inside and mm. like, give, give me two points right now, please. Yeah. Like, or like some monster dunk that's like, Oh, now the crowd's back in it. You know, it's not that Eaton has like the most advanced post game or whatever, but like Monty Williams can call a timeout and he's getting whoever he wants a bucket. He's getting them a bucket. Right. <laughs> If they need a momentum swing, eight and dunk, they got it. If they need a Devin Booker three, they got it. They got it. it. Yeah. You no, know, but so like that's just the thing. It's like every now and again, Phoenix, Chris Paul's not hitting, or like like 
they had a really bad start the other day. And it's like, okay, we're just going to move the ball to DeAndre Ayton and like just kind of, you know, finish inside. Yeah. Like he's gotten to the point of like, there he did have problems like catching the ball there for a while and like early in his career, but like it's to the point now of like he's finishing like some ridiculous alley oops now. Not all the time, but like he was finishing some though. So it's it's kind of that like we don't have just a Clint Capella big where it's like you can only really catch lobs and finish like layups. Aiden can do a little more than that, and that little more is just enough to give you a like an outlet like a legit outlet if you're a guard for like we just need a bucket yeah there was a play the other night i think the Suns came out of timeout and got Aiden like an easy alley-oop and it kind of just like shocked the crowd it was like ooh, okay yeah they woke him back up yeah um yeah I, i i mean we've been talking about the whole skilled center thing forever as well it's like you have to have some sort of skill we're not um, against drafting centers. We're against drafting big athletic James Wiseman type centers that like, it's like, okay, but what do you do? Yeah. Like you have to have some sort of skill. Like you can't just dunk, catch and dunk the ball. Like yeah. this, this is maybe the most talented the NBA has ever been. Like you just have to, be, you have to rise to that and right. not every center can do that. Um, and so it's just, I don't know. It, it it's kind of eye-opening when you look at these teams who are at the end, it's like they all kind of have some sort of version of skilled center, like a skilled big in some shape or form. Yeah. Well, like I used my example the other day, like he doesn't take jump shots, but at least he hits free throws. Yeah. Like, it's like, you can't just like hack him. And also like he's, I know Aiton's for the most part had his number, but like Zubach has been fine in those matchups. It's whenever they go smaller they have Zubach out there and they still switch, which I really don't understand. Um, the Chris Paul is just the point of Zubach, you know, um, slightly beside the point, but it's like, even he, like you can't just like leave him though. Cause he like yeah. is actually a pretty decent finisher around the rim, like even out of the short roll and he hits free throw. So you can't foul him. Yeah. So it, he's the least, you know, of these in terms of skill centers, but he's got enough though. Yeah. He's got something else. He's got like a third thing he can do. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he's an excellent screen center. Yeah. So, and and that's, that's a big thing. And if only they had the guards to like make it more worth it, but you know, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not excited about the breaking news story we'll have when Reggie Jackson signs like a three or $60 million contract based off this playoff run, but someone's going to do it, Matt. Someone's going to do it. You kind of just hope the point guard markets, you know, or positions kind of flooded already. No one needs to pay $20 million for not a legit starter, but right. The fact though is he's going to get paid somewhere to some degree. Detroit. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Could you imagine? <laughs> you wouldn't sign it. You'd rather play at the minimum for LA. Um. <laughs> so true. But yeah, I mean, like if uh, it's kind of hard, I mean, going into what would be game game five here, what uh, do you have any predictions? Are you, what would you, who, who would you say would win in this game? After how we really didn't talk on game four much, but how the fourth quarter of game four ended, I 
I kind of feel like the Clippers are done. Like, yeah, that felt like a big gut punch. Like that fourth quarter where they just couldn't ever take the lead. Like literally, like they, like the stats been thrown around now. Like the whole zero for twelve. Yep. In chances to take uh, or to tie or take the lead, and to end that game, they just time after time. Even some of them were good looks. Yep. Couldn't do it. Just it's like everything just spin and out. You know, <laughs> they couldn't buy a bucket. Paul George looked gassed. Like he, it looked like he had been playing like all game. For like and, five straight games, <laughs> you know, and Morris is kind of beat up right now, and her they're playing a lot of Pat Bev, who's done a good job against Booker, to be honest. But like offensively, he doesn't get any much. Though yeah. um, we can like Zubach, but like again, there's there's a threshold for a lot of these guys. Right, Nick Batum. I mean, I'm not Nick Batum has not done much for me. This uh. <laughs> This series, you know. I mean, we talked about at the beginning of the year. He's been fine, like, through these playoffs. But, like, if Nick Batum, you're relying on Nick Batum to hit some big open shots late in these games, like, I'm sorry, it's just not going to work for you. He's not. He can't be a 25, 30-minute-a-game guy in these playoffs. He just can't. Yeah. And it's like – and for whatever reason, guys who – I'm not saying they're perfect players by any means, but like guys who are producing like Mann and Kennard, it's like we're just begging Tyler to get them on the court like yeah. more often. And again, not perfect players, but it's like, why is our guard rotation at this point? Because you, you have to score on the Suns. Like you right. just do. Um, because they have too many guys that hit clutch shots at this point. Why is our guard rotation more than Reggie Luke Kennard and Terrence Mann. Yeah. You know, like that in whatever order, but like that's your guard rotation. And then you just, I, Paul George, Nick Batum, what, Zubach, and need one more guy. I'm forgetting someone. I feel like. Did you say Marcus Morris? No, Marcus Morris. There you go. Yeah. There's your four bigs, forwards, whatever, seven man rotation right there. Help yep. the out, Ty Lu. Quit playing ten guys. We don't need. Sorry, we don't need Pat Bev. We don't he's need. Been bad, but we don't need him, right? Like <laughs> we don't. Uh, we don't need uh, Demarcus Cousins minutes randomly. Yeah. That yeah. like the value. Like that guy wasn't doing anything out on the court. I'm sorry, the Clippers were playing four on five on that possession. Well, it's like he had the one <laughs> game quarter, whatever. What was that? Yeah, game two when they won. Um, game or, three, no, they lost that one. I don't remember. Game Whatever. one, I don't know. He had a game one where he came out and scored like 11 points in like that was game two one. Minutes. They still yeah. lost it, but he kept a minute early. He did. I'll give uh, Lou credit. He did. He basically just cut Rondo the other day, just cut him off. But so it's like, okay, but that's probably shouldn't be game four of the Western Conference Finals to figure this out, like who your seven main rotation is. And we still it's don't like- clearly know that. It's like, I don't know, it feels like his memory resets after every series because we went through, like, he didn't find his rotation in the Mavs series until later, until, like, game five. Is that why they start down 2-0 every time? (laughs) And then the same thing in Utah. They kind of figured out, okay, let's just go small and we'll, like, play kind of Rudy off the court in a way. Um, And then now, I mean, they're down 3-1. Like they have to know their it's game five. Like it's time to know your rotation. 
uh, I feel like man, like randomly doesn't get enough minutes, like you said, and like that's an adjustment. Like Once I feel like I need like thirty five minutes from Terrence Mann. Yeah, I think you do. Um, but also, it's like it's like you don't have a consistent like. You know, there's some dudes that it's like your goal is you're gonna play the first seven minutes of the first quarter, mm-hmm. then you're come sit down for three minutes, and then you're come back in and finish the quarter. Like some of these guys, like it's planned out, like as much as you can relatively plan. You know, always foul stuff comes up, injuries, whatever. But like you usually have a plan, for like how you're gonna sub and everything as a coach. When it comes to Ty Lue with Terrence Mann specifically, it's like there's no plan. Yeah, it's like it, just a complete gut feel. All right, Terrence Mann, we need you now, and go play. All right, let's pull him. It's what it's what it feels like with Terrence Mann's minutes, and then it's like for some reason it like Ty looks over to bench like, oh, Terrence Mann's over there. Let's get him in the game. You know, it's like it's sporadic, and it's like this team, unfortunately, whether you think they should or not, they need consistent. Not Terrence Mann minutes. Yeah, which is insane. Like, I like Terrence Mann. Like, he's been good, but... You're right. It's like, he should not be this important right now. Yeah. But he is, so go with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I guess back to game predictions. We kind of went down a rabbit hole there. What I are you thinking? Suns. You said Suns. Uh, I got the Suns, too, I think. Wrapping up in game five. Yeah, let's just finish this off. Yeah, it gets a I little dicey. I'm done with this, so. <laughs> You're not as interested in this series anymore? It's been good. Like, like we've said, like, the Clippers could easily be up 3-1 right now. But the way the Clippers are, it just doesn't feel like they can come back from this. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like they're, uh, especially if they're not hitting their shots, it's going to be a tough, tough hill to climb. Yeah. But shifting back to the game that happened tonight, Matt, Milwaukee and Atlanta. What a game. What a that game, a right? time win by the Bucks, to be honest. Got punched in the mouth a little bit there. Um, and then Trey Young sprained his ankle, and the game kind of shifted, got flipped on its head there. Right. I like, Atlanta starts this game on, like, a 20-6 to six run. You know, it was, like, just red hot um, to get started. Giannis has, like, two fouls. Yep. We're seeing a front court that features both Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez. <laughs> You text me like that was a, like a like like Budenholzer just like panic sub like, like <laughs> Bobby go. <laughs> it was like like any mini mighty mo and ended up on body Bobby Portis for the five hundredth time in this yeah, playoffs. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, so that was a bad start. Weird start. Milwaukee couldn't hit a three. Like, yep. The entire first half. Yep. And like they were down like what four um, yep. at half. It was remember. tied. It was tied at half. Yeah. The, right. So it was uh, 56 all. And I looked at before we started recording, I watched the highlights on Inside NBA. And uh, the Hawks scored with two minutes and 40 seconds left to go at half and didn't score again. And that felt like a stretch. And then Milwaukee goes on like a 10 run to end the half there. And that felt like a stretch. It was like, okay, Atlanta just gave them like the game three punch in the mouth and like, Milwaukee kind of survived it and it doesn't yeah. look like they're done yet. I think that's part of what we were texting in the game where I was like, I, I felt fine for the Bucks. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like you played realistically about as bad as you could, you know, well, going like Houston Rockets over 27, like level of bad. Like you played realistically bad. 
and you're still right here in the yeah. game or tied. Zero and zero essentially. So it felt like okay, so second half, keep that momentum, win by ten plus points. Did happen. It took a lot longer than it should have been the second half to finally get to that breakthrough. Like we won this game, but you know, at the same time, it's like the Hawks were hot, slightly rekindled that flame in the third quarter. But ultimately, like, I don't know. I wasn't confident that Milwaukee was going to win the game. Like when we came out of halftime, but I didn't feel like they were going to lose it either. I lost faith. I think I texted you and then like Chris Middleton somehow saw my text come through because I texted you with like at the beginning of the fourth quarter, maybe. Um, and I was we like, weren't winning the Trey Young sprained ankle minutes. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, there's it, the Bucks aren't winning it tonight. And I sent it to you and someone else. Um, and then you texted me after the game was over. I was like, <laughs> LOL. <laughs> and, enough, and, like, and that's just the thing about like, okay, eventually Chris Melton was going to make some shots, right? Like he hasn't made anything. It's felt like. Like all series. Oh my gosh. It, why do like, we have to do like, we, like 20 in the fourth? It's the same thing with Ty Lu and like Chris Middleton. Like, why do we have to do this first two games every series with Chris Middleton? Like, yeah, he it, it's like he doesn't like hit shots and then game three, it's just like a, well, I didn't feel like his shots were like any different this time. It's just like they went in though. Like, he yeah. was taking some stupid contested jump shots and they went in. And somehow they would get like a steal or poke away and, you know, loose ball and somehow Middleton ends up with it wide open for a three. And it's like, okay. I mean, it's kind of lucky, but it works, right? He's hot, give him the ball, finds the ball. This sometimes is what happens in basketball. Like you're hot and the ball just seems to find you. That happened a couple of times for sure. Yeah. Yeah, just some random knockouts and then, like, Chris Middleton standing in the corner. He had a couple, like, heat checks that went in. It was like, okay, this is yeah, still going. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's the thing you need to win a championship, though, is, yeah. like, a dude who you pay $30 million a year better hit, like, those shots. The you heat know? check moments. Maybe yeah. not every game, but you got to hit them when they matter. And it's like, if he didn't hit those, if he misses three of those shots in the fourth quarter, Still has 15 points in the quarter, which is still pretty great. But all of a sudden, that's a two-point game in the last minute. Right. It's a 10-point game. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like that's the difference. It's kind of crazy how that that can that totally just, like, flip the game um, in a matter of, like, minutes. Um, right. And then Trey Young, like, ankle sprain. Like, t- super unfortunate. Like, the most unlucky thing is, like, on him running back, he steps on the ref's foot and turns his ankle. Yeah, it's like so dumb too. And like it's super unfortunate and it sucks. But man, like does Atlanta win that game if Trey Young's healthy and still like initiating the offense? I I honestly <laughs> I think Milwaukee still wins it. And part of it's just I don't know if they would have because that happened right before the end of the third quarter, right? Yeah. So like I don't you I don't know for certain that Nate McMillan would have played him twelve and a half straight minutes of game minutes you know right there so that's one anyway because he he's done the thing where he's pulled him out and then puts him back in at like ten minutes yeah. after the quarter you know just to get him an extra long break because of um, the between quarter break and so I don't know but two 
I think it's more so the fact of like when he came back in eventually, which came back in around like what the eight, nine minute mark. Yeah. Played about what he would have normally played. I mean, Atlanta won those minutes when he was out. Yeah. And then like, I don't know if they would have won it by significantly more if he was playing, to be honest. It's like, I Mm. don't really know. Yeah. But two, like when he did come back in, it's like, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the injury or what, he really wasn't getting as many of those calls. It felt like, yeah, and like he got some open shots and they just didn't go in. Yeah, so not that he didn't make a couple, like I think, but he had three points for the fourth quarter. It it, it didn't feel like the same Trey Young, even though he still got a lot of the same looks. So maybe he plays and they go in, but I, I tend to think like if you're able to out there and run and run pick and roll like you're relatively fine like it's gonna hurt like hell after the game it's gonna swell but like in the game like you just let that adrenaline keep it going and like it's fine you don't even realize how bad it is till after so i don't think so to be honest i think like he's probably gassed he was carrying that team early milwaukee was still fighting back and i think there was just also a different level of energy from milwaukee there in the yeah. fourth like pj tucker like all over the freaking place you know chris milton's doing his thing like Giannis was good drew honestly got out of the way yeah, so. yeah offense it was not a good offensive night for drew but he was able to i mean he was able to stick with trey tonight it was it was a pretty pr- impressive performance defensively um for drew for the most part i mean trey well, I think part of this is just we have to like obviously trey young's been great in the playoffs like not trying to take anything away one-on-one no screen he's not getting open against drew holiday like with a dribble move to be honest Mm. he has to have the screen to get around drew holiday just straight up and sometimes it results in a three sometimes it results in that floater whatever but like that's the only way he's realistically getting around drew right now yeah milwaukee is (sighs) figured it out in game two and then started to figure some stuff out in game three again um, with how to defend that screen. Yeah. And the ankle sprain kind of made it um, a little bit slow. Um, uh, Trey Trey a step slower. So Drew was able to stay with him a little bit, even off those screens um, a little bit tighter. Um, And yeah, Milwaukee played, I mean, in the first quarter, they played that drop coverage a little bit higher now. Um, and then even when Lopez was out of the game, which was for most of the game, I mean, I don't know how many minutes he got tonight, um, but they started just switching screens and taking some of that space away and, and just stepping into that space instead of letting Trey get a 30 foot running head start at the at big man and, and then resulting in a floater lob. Um, so I, I feel like this series significantly i mean milwaukee wins home court advantage back right like they get home court advantage back in this game if they can manage to win game four in atlanta especially if trey is still hobbled like this is that's going to be a huge huge swing in the series yeah if if like if i had to put money on it today I don't know if I feel super confident saying Bucks in five, but 
it's like one of those also weird ones. Like if you're Milwaukee, if this is three, one going back to Milwaukee, you can't lose five. You can't let it get to six. Yeah. And go back to Atlanta. I mean, this is how the Philly series played out for Atlanta, right? Like they lost game three. They were, I mean, down big in games four and five, and they managed to come back and win those games. Um, the big thing, time, Philly should be here playing Milwaukee right now because they should have just finished them in yeah those, those two games. Yeah, and, and this is the same scenario that Milwaukee is going to face now. Can they put Atlanta away in five? And I, I think this is going to be one of the moments that we point to if Milwaukee wins the championship of like, yeah, these guys proved that they could go out and finish a team unlike some other teams that we've seen. Right. I, I'm not going to say that game four is like a must win from Milwaukee, but I would say it's like 60% a must win for Milwaukee. Just yeah. so that you have the opportunity to close it out in five. Yeah. Because if you don't win tonight, obviously you have to play at least six. Yeah. I don't think you're trying to go back to Atlanta. So if they lose, it's not the end of the world. But I, th- I think for their sake, like it would greatly do that team favor to finish this thing out in the next two games. 100%. We didn't talk about Giannis, but he was spectacular tonight. I mean, he's been really good in the last two games. I feel like he's been really good in this series, actually. Just these three games, he's just been spectacular. He hasn't taken a ton of threes. Has, has really just kind of hunted matchups and just played bully ball. Like, yeah. it, the inside NBA guys, like, we don't have that traditional post guy. Like, Giannis is kind of the closest thing to that traditional post guy, I think. Like, he doesn't turn his back to the bucket a ton and just back people down unless he has a mismatch. But he's starting to do things, like, in the post that kind of looks like a traditional big man. Well, it's kind of like <clears throat> not, not to just throw these names out and around, but, like, he's not the same player. But, like, Kareem would face up and then swing and, like, rip the ball by you and go into a sky hook. Yeah. You know, like, Ewing would have these moves. Olajuwon would have these moves. And it's effectively what Giannis is doing except the fact that he's not throwing it up as like an eight foot jump hook. Yeah. He's like leaning over with this massive arm and like finger rolling it in like a guard. And you're like, how did you even reach that? Um, But it's, it's kind of similar of what he's doing. Like he'll catch maybe with his back to the basket pose and hope either if you commit to him going left, he'll rip back to the right and get to that finger roll or dunk. And if you go commit to the right hand, he'll just rip left. And then what he does is he tries to bully you then inside. Yeah. So he doesn't have any like a great lefty finish. So he just tries to bully and go up. So it's like, I don't know how you stop it. Need- he, like he gets the ball so high up and so far away from where you think it should be. Cause his arms are like an extra six inches long each, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's where he gets hacked a ton. Um, and I've just been impressed that he's been able to do that. I know he does this, like, watching him in the regular season. He's able to get baseline, but not step out of bounds a ton. Like, every time I feel like he goes baseline, I feel like he's always stepping out of bounds. But then they show a replay, and it's not even really all that close. He somehow reaches back into, like, the actual, like, 
area where you should be standing and like yeah. use it in from like behind the backboarding like <laughs> your arm do that you like know? on the other side like he's standing on the other side and he gets his arm around the other side of the basket <laughs> to lay and it's just insane like this guy like he doesn't have like a signature move like you were saying like he doesn't have that sky hook he just kind of has bully ball like that's his thing and it's, it's like the full arm extension <laughs> yeah is a move and it's like it's not a move because it's not like something you can replicate it's yeah. just <laughs> it's just the freak you know <laughs> nature of him it's like there's literally no one else in the world who can do that i've had i know like a lot of people have been anti Giannis taking any form of jump shot but i have enjoyed him adding to his repertoire that turnaround post jump shot yeah, like that, he's got that going on now that that's like an old school big man move that like jerk fadeaway jump shot it looks good like it's got it went in a couple times tonight um and it i mean like he's just you can tell a little by little he's starting to develop this feel for these shots um and i think he only took two threes tonight and hit one of them but he's just that one he hit hold on that that one where he like went to do a drill handoff and then like did it like a behind the back between his legs and like rejected the handoff and it's like he bounced like too far out in front of himself over on the left wing (laughs) collected it though and like shot it like so smooth like he would like warm it up before the game and it like perfect swish i was like what is that (laughs) i know and then he gets ripped for taking it because it it was a bad shot for him but like whatever yeah exactly um I just, I, I don't know. I, I've enjoyed, I feel like Giannis is just added to his game. Um, and it's just enjoyable to watch. And it's really starting to come into his own, um, especially in these playoffs. And I think, I don't know, I, I guess I I'm, I get accused of doing, or I, I do this all the time, not accused, uh, of just like kind of picking apart players' games for who they're not instead of who they are. And I've just really enjoyed Giannis in these playoffs. Yeah. Like another little thing he's developed is like if he starts going like you know super downhill and some teams like we're not leaving the restricted area, he like he's kind of learned that Russell Westbrook like I'm going really fast and then I'm just gonna stop like a foot elbow, into the elbow yeah like kind of take this and like again my arms are super long like I'm basically just like reaching the basket <laughs> at that point too but it's like you may not ever be a three point shooter. But like he's he's kind of developed the mid range ish jump shot. Yeah. It's not smooth. It's not pretty. It's not Durant. It's not Kyrie. It's not any of those guys. But it's effective enough for what he does. Yep. No. It changes up enough to like. I mean, I don't like Capella was guarding him out at the three point line, which I kind of take issue with. Like, why are you crowding his space so much? It's not like I know you want to take away the spin and all that stuff, but. It's not where you want to be guarding him. Like, at least drop back a little bit. They're not that afraid of his jump shot. Yeah. Right? It was like, trust trust the help to be there on the spin or whatever. Like, you can take, like, a back. Yeah. Like, as the defender. You can and be still, a step like, cut below. him off if yeah, he's trying can, to go left or right. You can be a step below the free throw line, essentially, on Giannis. Yeah. Give or take. Um, I don't know. It, it feels like Milwaukee should win the series. Same way we thought Philly should win the series. Yeah, but one of their stars actually looks at the rim. You know, he's not afraid to take jump shots. So yeah. I don't know. 
I, it just feels like this series is turning Milwaukee's way and they have a chance to capitalize. I think Milwaukee's proven they don't need all three of their max guys to play like max guys to win the game. They only need like two because like Middleton was having bad games. So Giannis and Drew yeah. had a good one. Right? Tonight, Drew on the offensive end had a bad game. Middleton, Giannis stepped up, came back, won the game. So they don't need three guys to play great. They just need two of them to play great on offense, good collective team defense, and enough from like the Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez type guys, you know, and they got it. So yeah. like, that's, that's the only thing that matters in the playoffs. You just have to get it somehow, some way. Like you just got to get it. Whether it's Giannis gives you a game or honestly this one, Middleton won you the game. Yep. You know, Giannis did the work all game, but Middleton did it late when it mattered. Drew's won you a game, like, yep. realistically. There's going to be one where Giannis just, like, goes for, like, 40. Yeah. Like, 45 and just, like, complete dominates. And then you just need, like, one more somehow. Yep. Two more to go. Two more to go for Milwaukee. Uh, it's kind of a steep hill to climb for Atlanta. Um, if you're picking the rest of the series, Matt, are you are you saying Bucks and five? Uh, probably yeah. like even though Bogdanovich is looking a little better on that knee if he's still banged up though and Young is at least a little banged up and they they really don't know how to better utilize Collins still I think there's just a limit to this Atlanta team mm. yeah yeah especially if Trey Young is kind of hobbled still with that sprained ankle Maybe Bogdanovich coming back and being somewhat more healthy kind of balances that out. Um, it still doesn't feel like he's hit like two consecutive shots in the series yet, though. So that's that's concerning if I'm a Hawks fan. And that's the appeal of Bogdanovich is like you can relieve at least moments of the load off of Trey Young to go get a bucket. Yeah. And it's like, you're right. It just doesn't feel like he can do it like sustainably right now. It doesn't feel like he could do the Middleton like 6-0, run like he had tonight. And that's what you need from Bogdanovich to win this series. Yeah, it does. <clears throat> Sweet. Uh, I'm saying Milwaukee in 5-2 for the record. Milwaukee in 5, Suns in 5. Let's get to finals. Let's get to, let's get to NBA finals again, Matt. Who do you, I mean, it doesn't feel like it's been a year since we've had the bubble. I know, right? Like, that's the thing. The Suns coming from the bubble, 8-0, still didn't make the playoffs, to now potentially playing for a championship against the Milwaukee Bucks. Like, just insane. Just great. insane. Um, <clears throat> anyways, that's it for episode 113. Do you have any closing words here, Matt? I do not. I'm ready for bed. All these late games, Ryan. Too old for <laughs> Yeah, we, uh, we got to get to the NBA Finals when tips at like 6.30 or whatever. Help, help the people Midwest time. <laughs> we're, not, we're not West Coast people. We're not West Coast. Anyways, uh, thank you so much for uh, listening to episode 113. Um, we will see you back for episode 114. Yeah.